Well, I want to invite you, if you would, um, grab your copy of the scriptures and turn to Galatians 5. You know, if you have a device, if you have a phone or an iPad or something like that, um, you can Google uh, 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to be looking at the bulk of the chapter, but really um, starting in, in uh, verse 1, we're going to go through about the first half of it or more. Have you ever been bound? Now, I'm talking about like with ropes. I'm not talking about your digestive system here this morning. Uh, have you ever been tied up? Now, there's a number of ways to be bound. You know, there's rope, duct tape. Maybe some of us in our past have experienced handcuffs in a negative way, you know. Um, for a, a horse, it's with a halter. For your dog or cat, it's with a leash and a collar. You know, someone's bound there at the mercy of the one who is doing the binding. And I even know this, like, you know, we have a 1,200-pound horse, and her name is Briar, and it's amazing. She is much bigger, much stronger, much faster. She could make a problem for me quickly, but with a series of ropes around her head and with a leash under her halter, I walk around this 1,200-pound beast like it's nothing. Because the one who's bound is at the mercy of the one doing the binding. And we experience that. And I know for some of us, it may not be physical ties. It may not be physical restraints. But you know what I'm talking about when I talk about being bound in other ways. Some people are bound to a bottle. Some people are bound in a way that they find hope, they find release at the bottom of it. Some people are bound to a pill bottle. And that's something that they just, they can't break away from. And they feel some people are bound in other ways, even internally. Some people are bound to a sense of worthlessness to to a feeling that you know i don't belong no one cares no one loves maybe guilt from past mistakes and you can't break through this thought in your mind i've blown it i've screwed up other people know it like it's on full display and you are bound internally from guilt bound to hopelessness some people bound to anger and bitterness some people, the ultimate binding of our lives, and no one is exempt, is the binding of pride, where we view ourselves better than others. It's my way over others. It's how I live and my rights over others. Invisible cords that tie us, and we find ourselves immobile and unable to break out. We know I love it when someone just cuts to the chase and says it the way it is and we're going to see that this morning from second corinthians chapter 5 look at what the apostle paul says in verses 1 to 12 there's a whole element where you know when we're bound we want to hear what's what's the hope 
How can we work through this? And this whole issue of spiritual slavery can be a confusing topic. How free does God want us to live? Sometimes the Bible says we're free. Other times it says we're slaves. So which is it? Are we free? Are we slaves? How does all of this work out? Well, Paul is going to set the record straight. So if you would look at verse 1, and you're going to see the title, um, the title to our series, these next few messages, set free. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm sorry, what am I saying? No wonder it looked really odd. <laughs> Friends, can I just tell you, I told my group this morning this. I said, you need to pray for me because my brain is still on vacation. <laughs> and, and that, I'm experiencing that right now. Okay. Thank you, PR, having my back on that one. I'd be making up a whole new message this morning. <laughs> okay, Galatians 5. Are we all there together? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Wow, that was embarrassing. Here we go. Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Set free. Christ has set us free. Amen? Okay, say it with me. Christ, boom. That's the whole message of the scriptures. We who are bound, we who are tied in cords, Christ has set us free. That's why we sing. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why everything we do is centered around Jesus Christ. That's why this whole movement for two millennia, it's called Christianity because it's all about Jesus Christ. Christ has set us free. Now notice, there's going to be two different ways he set us free as we work down through this passage. And then there's one way he wants us to be in slavery. So look at these, um, starting in verse 2 again. He says, um, so mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. And you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. <clears throat> the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Look at the next five verses. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way 
and emasculate themselves. Now, I told you, Paul kind of says it like it is, doesn't he? Wow. Now, the earlier part in Galatians, he, he, oh my. This would not make a pastor too popular. Earlier in Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians. Like, he's laying it out there. This is serious business. And so the very first reminder about being set free that he gives, we are set free from self-righteousness. That's how to package these first 12 verses. We're set free from self-righteousness. Righteousness that we try to earn or develop on our own. Christ has set us free from the rat race of trying to be good enough, righteous enough to have God's favor upon us. So let me just set the context here and then we're going to work through the rest of the verses. So Christ has set us free. We were destined for God's eternal punishment in hell because of our unrighteousness. Like the reality is our destination is doomed. Our sin is a big deal. It's an eternal issue. God will lay out his wrath, his righteous wrath upon all who have sinned against him. And just to let you know, that's all of us. Our sin has sealed our fate where we rightly deserve God's punishment. Paul said earlier in Romans, he says, there's not a one who is righteous, no, not one. None of us meet up to God's standard. We're all doomed, we're all bound. The second thing, the reality is people get trapped when they think they can, by their own efforts, put together enough good deeds so that God will view us as righteous in and of ourselves, enough to meet God's standard of perfection. So people get in this mindset, you know what, if I do enough good things, if I go to church enough, if I take communion enough, maybe if I'm baptized, if I give to the church, if I do a lot of good things for my neighbor, maybe I'm working my righteousness up that God will then view me in a positive light and not punish me for my sin. And the text is very plain. It's a trap. It's one we cannot attain that level. In fact, Paul says elsewhere in Romans, he said, for all have sinned. That's all of us. And fall short of the glory of God. None of us meet up to God's standard of, of righteousness and perfection. One has said, and I love this, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. We together on that? We're all in the same boat. The hymn writer said it even better than me. You know this one? Just as I am, sing with me, without one, but that thy blood, but that thy blood was shed for me, was shed, and that thou bidst, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come. Uh, hey, thanks for going uh, back a few years with me on that one. Just as I am, without one plea. We see God, we got nothing going for us. 
And this is the reality of what Paul's saying in Galatians. We are doomed. We got nothing to say. We have no recourse to say, God, I deserve to be in. I am righteous like you are. None of us are. And here's what Paul is getting at in these verses here, in the first 12 verses. He mentioned some very pointed elements Verse 1 calls self-righteousness a yoke of slavery. You are going to be bound with this idea that I can earn God's approval on my own. You've been set free of that because of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, if we come to the thought that our works of righteousness will earn us God's favor, then Jesus' work has no value to us he mentions it right there i tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised christ will be of no value to you And the background of this is there's an old testament law of identification with god because of this but some people in the new testament are saying you need to have this done or you will never earn god's favor and man paul just lets it fly he says you know what if you do that to earn god's favor why do you need jesus why do you need jesus Look at verse 4. He lays it out again. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. So here, if I'm trying to gain approval of God by what I do, he says, you know what? You are just drifting farther away from Jesus and what he did for you. If you think your salvation, your rescue from sin and from hell is because of you, then you're getting the, away from the only one who can rescue you from sin and hell, and that's Jesus Christ. Billy Graham um, was driving through a small southern town, and he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. So just a little side note. Yes, pastors every once in a while do get caught speeding. Don't look at me. This is a while ago. The policeman came up and Graham admitted his guilt uh, and was told by the police officer he would have to appear in court. And the judge asked, guilty or not guilty? And when Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10. Times have changed, haven't they? Yeah. A dollar for every mile you went over the limit. Suddenly, the judge recognized Billy Graham. You violated the law, he said. A fine must be paid. And the judge says, but I, I can't let you do that. I'm going to pay the fine for you. And he took a $10 bill from his own wallet, and he attached it to the ticket. And he says, it's done. I paid your debt. And then the judge says, can I take you out for dinner? And they went out together for a steak dinner. So Billy Graham tells a story, told a story, back many times in his different crusades and sharing the gospel in large stadiums. And here's, here's what he said. That's how God treats repentant sinners. Paying the fine was forgiveness. 
The steak dinner was Christ's righteousness placed on us, something we don't deserve. Christ has set us free. He set us free from us having to earn God's righteousness because he placed his righteousness on us when we believe that he died on the cross and bore our punishment for our sin. So let me just mention, and I don't know where you're at today. In fact, some people may be attracted to Holy Week because they're saying, you know what, I need to to do this religiously. This is my ticket into heaven for God to approve of me. So I'm going to go Palm Sunday, I'm going to go Good Friday, and I'm going to go Easter. Now, in our church circles, we call these CEOs. Christmas, Easter, occasional. (laughs) That's how I'm going to earn God's favor. And you know, when I go, I'm going to put something in the plate. And then when I get home to do my good deed, uh, I'm going to do something for my neighbor. And some people might be here thinking that. Jesus has set us free from us thinking I have to perform because ultimately his performance on the cross is what has rescued us. And so our hope and our trust is solely in that, Jesus, you died for me, you bore my penalty, you gave me your righteousness, I am already approved by God. And it's not based upon me, it's based upon Jesus. And that is my reason why I serve. That's the reason why I come to be with other believers. That's the reason why I sing, the reason why I give, the reason why I work with my neighbor is because Jesus has already made me approved by God. And I believe that 100%. The way that we put this package here, steps to earn our salvation are steps away from God's grace. I need to walk us through the, the next two things. These are really important. We're not only set free from self-righteousness, it's not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. He mentions we are set free from self-justification. Look, look down at verse 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now here's the caution. First, he didn't want you to be tied and bound by the law. I need to obey the law if God's going to approve of me or accept me. But now he, he gives a different kind of a caution. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You notice this bondage? Some people get in mind, hey, I'm free. I don't have to do the law to be approved by God. And then some people, that may be a way that they tantalize their sinful desires. Now I'm going to give you a Greek word. I don't do this every week, but this one is really significant. The meaning of this verse is bound up in the word indulge in my translation or give opportunity to the flesh or sinful nature, the word is a forme, a forme. Would you say it with me? A forme. And so here's what that means. A forme means it's the starting point or the base of operations for an expedition. It could be translated, this is a springboard. Don't use your liberty as a springboard to move you toward indulgence in what is sinful. And so with this teaching, Paul balances his teaching on freedom from the law and avoids misunderstanding because some in the Galatian church could be shouting 
I have the freedom to do this, but also have their tongue in cheek. They could have an ulterior motive behind this liberty. It would be to nurse along our sinful desires, to keep those tendencies still there. I I have the freedom to watch this movie. I have the freedom to look at this material. I have the freedom to say these things. I have the freedom to listen to this. And ultimately, he says, you know what? Uh, You may. But we can't use those freedoms to nurse along our sinful tendencies. Reminds me of a mud of a dog years ago that showed up at our home when I was growing up. He was ugly. He was chubby. He was stubby. And the two things I remember most about him, he had horrible breath, and he wheezed every time he tried to go anywhere. Just wheezed, terribly out of shape. And worse yet, for this male dog, we named him Ginger. And I remember he just showed up, and my dad's expression was like, oh, no. We don't want that dog around here. And us kids were begging, Dad, please, 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 we want him. And, and Dad's like, oh, no. And then, and then Dad said this, I'll tell you what, if he's still here after three days, we'll keep him. And of course, all the kids, yay! You know, yeah. And so guess what we did? To make sure he would stay around? You know what we did? We'd get out a little bit of food. And we'd put it on the front porch for him. And that male dog, Ginger, would come by every day. And he's, that's where he got what he needed. And he hung around longer than what my dad wanted. And then we ended up keeping him. So can we be honest here? We do sometimes in the area of liberty. Sometimes we may use liberty to serve as a little snack for our sinful nature. And it can help it hang around. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? I know you do because I sense the same stuff. One side, we're not bound by the law, but then he says, you know what, come on. You were saved from your sinful tendencies. And we don't want to leave snacks around to keep them coming back. I do it. My guess is if you're anything like me, you do the same thing. True? Okay, all two of you are honest here. Come on, don't we? We know what this is about. And Paul says, you're only binding yourself if you continue to nurse along sinful tendencies. And let me just say, our society has them strewn, snacks strewn all over the place. You can't walk through a grocery store line without all kinds of visual snacks that entice our sinful tendencies. It's hard to watch a sports event on TV. It's hard to even drive by billboards. There's so many snacks out there. And oftentimes we can indulge and nurse along our sinful tendencies by nibbling on those. 
They can take up residence in our home. We can be ensnared or bound to them. We satisfy the craving. It grows to the point. And here's where it can end up growing. It can grow even in the areas of our speech, like gossip. It's a snack. I've just got to tell somebody. Or I've got to hear it. I've got to spread it. Pride. Sexual indulgence or lust. Divisions. Bitterness. Poor language. Face it. We all can deceive ourselves lie to ourselves like it's all okay, it won't go any farther than this, this is where it's going to end, and guess what? It always takes us farther than we wanted to go. So Paul says, you know what? You need to be careful about being bound to the law like we can earn God's approval, really? That's why Jesus died. Then he says we need to be careful because we can subtly bind ourselves to our sinful tendencies by, by giving snacks and keeping it around. How I put this passage, verse 13, into a snapshot. Steps to nurse our sinful cravings are steps back into slavery to sin. Steps back into slavery. Here's the third thing I want us to get. Now this is a different twist. Because he says, first off, don't be bound to self-righteousness. Ah, ah, ah. That's why Jesus died. Then he says, ah, don't be bound by your sinful tendencies by feeding snacks got to be careful with that but then he mentions a way that we are bound now this is interesting instead of being bound to our sinful nature notice the end of verse 13 he says rather serve does your i'm not sure how your translation reads it says serve that is the word right there dulete which means to be a slave so isn't this interesting? He says, number one, don't be a slave to self-righteousness. Don't be a slave to your sinful tendencies. However, I want you to be a slave. I want you to be a slave. This is really critical as we look at it. He says, I want you to be a slave. Guess who? To one another. You're a slave to each other. You're here to serve each other. And then he goes into the second of the greatest commandments. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So say that with me, would you? Love your neighbor as... And then you wonder, so who's my neighbor? Well, just take a look on either side of you. Take a look across the aisle. You down low, don't worry about the people on the balcony. <laughs> who's our neighbor? It, it's all of us. And he says, you know what? We need to have this mentality that it is about my neighbor. I'm not here to be bound to my own tendencies. I am here to serve the other people around me. And so I want to mention a couple things about this slavery. We don't serve others when. Now catch the, catch the play here. We don't serve others when. Number one, we demand our rights. Our rights. I have the right. You can't tell me anything. This is my right. I'm going to do it my way. And we're so concerned about our freedoms that we don't care for our siblings in Christ. We also don't serve others when 
Notice the play. We demand our rights. A totally different essence here. You need to do things my way. You need to do church. You need to do your life the way I do my life. I demand my rights in how I do religion. And it's going to be that way. And he says, that, that's not being a servant or a slave to other believers. He goes on in the text, interestingly enough, verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the opposite of serving others. Is we say, it's my way. You do it my way. And then there's squabbles and quarrels within church. You do it, no, you do it my way. No, this is how it's going to be. Let's get together a group of people and let's demand our rights. Let's demand it's the way that we want it to be. And he says, you know what? That may seem nice for you. You're destroying the church of God. You are biting and devouring one another. You are consuming what God has built. You're not a slave to each other the way that I want you to be. How we put on here, steps away from serving others are steps toward division and destruction within the church. I'm going to read it again. I want you to see it on the screen. Steps away from serving others are steps toward division and destruction within the church, period. Do you hear what Paul's telling us, friends? Serve one another. I know you're not a slave to self-righteousness. I know you're not a slave to self-justification. Hey, I have the right to do this. But he says, but you are a slave to each other. And especially mature people need to have that mentality. It doesn't have to be our rights. And it doesn't have to be our rights. We serve. There's a phrase that I have just come to love, and I'm going to put it out there for you. It's this. Free people. Free people. It's who we are. Amen? We are free people because of Jesus Christ. But it's also what we do. Free people. Paul mentions the same thing I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, obviously, he doesn't save, and we don't ultimately free. That's Jesus. But this is our job description as believers. We're free, and we're here to set other people free, and oftentimes we do that by becoming a slave to them. I got a few illustrations of this, and and we're going to kind of come down the pipeline here and finish things up. Finish with a song. That's the essence of what I've been talking about. I've talked to you in the past about the man we named our son Landon after, Bert Landon. At 84 years old, helped us build our home back in the year 2000. And helping us build our home was... Not the big deal. Here's the big deal about Bert. 
Elise and I at that time had three children. And um, we had to sell our home in order to be able to move into this new home. However, the new home wouldn't be built yet. And I remember um, Bert pulled us aside. I've told some of you about this before. And he said, um, Pastor, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to move out of my home. And I'm going to move into a camper. And you and your kids can stay in my home until your home is built. And that was fine in July and August and September. We were in upstate New York. And then October came. And then November started. And it was cold and snowy and freezing. And you know what? He didn't have to do that. But he gave up his rights to see us advance. I'm going to tell you one other story. This is a bit sensitive because I realize I walk out there in the area of Christian liberty. I don't drink alcoholic beverages, that is. I do. I'm not dehydrated, people. I never have. And in the Bible, it says don't be drunk. And we need to watch out for that because that's a real issue today. But I just don't. I never have. When I walk into the grocery store, when I walk into Olson's and there's the recycle can thing and I walk by and I smell what's coming out of that, I'm like, ooh, you know, and I, I about gag. I, I never have. And it's not even a temptation for me. And I remember I was helping a, um, I was helping a woman who was at our church and her husband was not a believer. And he was skeptical of all pastors. He said they're just in it for the money. They're used car salesmen. And so um, she wanted her husband to hear about Jesus. And so I initially connected with the guy. Hey, here's who I am. This is my life. And I'm going back and forth by email with him. And he told me I'm a skeptic. Like, I, I think all preachers are, you know, snake oil guys and used car guys, and they can't be trusted. And I'm thinking, wow, how am I ever going to be able to connect with this guy? And so eventually, after about three or four weeks of connecting with him over email, I said, hey, do you think I could ever come over and, and chat with you and just sit down in your house and blow me away? He said, sure. And then he said this, what are you drinking? I don't know what to tell him. And, and so I, I just said, hey, whatever, whatever you are, mistake number one. <laughs> so I showed up at his house, and we're exchanging pleasantries, and then he comes out with two drinks. One's cherry flavor and one's orange flavor. And I didn't even know what what brand or anything, I have no idea, but I looked at it and I realized it was not what I drink. And I said, I'll take the orange. And I'm thinking, Lord, please make it taste like orange soda. Please make it taste like orange soda. <laughs> and I smelled it and I'm like, oh my. And as I'm sitting there and talking with him and, and, and after about 10 minutes, his is gone. And mine's down about that much just what I could kind of stick my tongue onto, and I'm like, oh, oh. 
I'm like, this is terrible. This is absolutely horrible. I'm thinking, I'm never going to get through this, and there's only one thing worse than a cold orange beer. It's a warm orange beer. And I'm like, this is terrible. And finally, the man looked over at me and says, what? You, you don't like it? He goes, I'll get you another flavor. I said, oh, no, 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 that's okay. And he says, how come you're not drinking it? I said, okay. Keith, I'm sorry. I should have told you. I just don't drink. It doesn't make me any better than you. I don't, I just don't drink. And he goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And he says, how come you didn't tell me this? Like, why didn't you just say I don't want any of this? And I would have got you something different. And, and here's what I end up telling him. And it's not that I'm anything great. But I said, brother, it's because I cared about the opportunity to sit down with you more than my, more than my beverage preference. And I said, I would have tried to choke this thing down just for the opportunity to tell you about Jesus. And he says, you're not a used car salesman, are you? (laughs) There are some times, friends, carefully, where we yield our rights and our rights to help other people take a step toward Jesus. We don't sin through it. but we carefully tread. And who's this based upon? I'll tell you. Because there's no one who gave up more rights for the benefit of others, friends, than Jesus Christ. You with me on this? This is where it all starts. You think I took a hit for the cause of the gospel? No, look at Jesus who gave up heaven who gave up everyone recognizing and worshiping him to put on one of these things, a body, like how limiting. And he put on his body and he went through humanity and then he went through scorn and mockery and beatings to die on a cross. That's what this whole week is about. No one gave up more and sacrifice more for the cause of the gospel than Jesus Christ. And so it only makes sense that we say, therefore, I also sacrifice for the cause of the gospel. I want to be like Jesus. If I want to be centered on the message that matters most, I sacrifice. I give up to help others take their next step with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was all about the people who give up their rights and rights and sacrifice of their own, that's the most Christ-like centered thing we can do. It turns self-centeredness into gospel-centeredness. It's when success isn't measured by what we clutch, but by what we sacrifice. It's not measured by what we get, but what we give. It's definitely not measured in demanding and insisting. Strong believers, we send messages to new believers and non-believers when we sacrifice rights for the sake of the message of Jesus Christ. 
This says something like, I love you. It says something like, you matter to me and to Jesus. It says you belong, you're accepted. We are about relationship, not religion. That's what it says. What can you sacrifice to serve? Years ago, the Salvation Army was holding an international convention and their founder, General William Booth, could not attend because of physical weakness. So to that convention, he sent his message that he wanted said in front of everyone. And it was one word. Here's what it was. Others. Others. Not self-centeredness. Gospel-centeredness. Other-centeredness. Here's how this ends. We're free from self-righteousness. We're free from self-justification. And we're free from selfishness. We've been set free because of Jesus. Amen? Free. We're free. We are free. So we live as free people. Would you stand with me? How's God connecting with you today? Are you in the religious rat race? I've got to be better. I've got to do better. I need to be one up. God needs to accept me, and so I need to put it all out for him. Are you running the religious rat race, and you need to stop and realize Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness. He paid the price. He's our acceptance to God. It's not you. Give it up. Is that where you're at? Are you nursing along some sinful tendencies? And you need to be honest. It does affect you. It does inch us closer toward sin. We need to be honest about that. You've been freed from that. And are you bound by selfishness? It's got to be my way. It's got to be my way. Church has got to be my thing. Everyone else needs to do it my way. And we don't realize that there are new believers, growing believers, young believers, that we need to look out and help them take their steps with Jesus. That's where it's at. We're free from selfishness. And so God, we're free because of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. The greatest message in the world, and it sounds crazy, but it's true. It's our freedom because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, may that change us this morning. Take this message and alter our heart, our attitude, our course, our trajectory, and help us, God, to be Christ-focused and others-focused for the sake of the gospel. We cling to you. We cling to the cross. Thank you for freedom. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Together we say, it is. Amen. Amen.